me anyway, can't you? There I am. Hi, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? It's nice to see you. If I've not met you, my name's Dan. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. I often joke about my gray hair, and it just keeps getting worse. Every time I come up here, I get ready in the morning, and I look, I have more gray hair. I'm like, what's the deal? So anyway, welcome to church. Glad to see you this Sunday morning. Very glad to be preaching. Pastor Dan gave, uh, has given Tanner and I an opportunity to take a couple of Sundays through this Christmas season, which we are grateful for, I think, because we're taking on the third week of Advent this week, and it's the smallest spelling of the word joy that we're going to be talking about this week. But I'm honestly not sure that I'm the guy to be carrying this message this morning because I'm not, sometimes the way I preach isn't that lighthearted. <laughs> And it's really not that, it's, I, I like to think it's encouraging, but sometimes it gets a little um, heavy just by the way God lays things on my heart. So this morning, I pray that you would do this for me this morning as we get into this message. I challenged the high school students with this a couple weeks ago. This idea of joy is big, okay? I want you to take your personality and set it aside this morning for me. Take all your excuses as to why you don't have joy or it's not my personality to be happy and joyful. That would be me. I'm, I'm very happy and joyful, but at the same time, I can be very um, sobering and sober-minded, if you will, which I don't think is bad. So take your personality this morning for me and set it aside, would you please? And just listen. Yes, Mike, you have to. Listen to what God has to say to each one of us this morning in regards to this topic, because this is a very small word that carries a big punch with it, in my opinion. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Advent season. Pastor Dan and Tanner both have done such a really good job at breaking down this idea of love, the advent of waiting for Christ's return, that love that propelled all this into place. And then you look at what Tanner talked about last week with hope. Hope is a very big deal for us as Christians. But when you look at this, I believe it carries this pattern that, as, as our pastors taught us, you look at the love of God, the hope that he brings, that's where the joy comes from, doesn't it? This idea of joy come from, comes from a foundation of knowing God loves me, and he keeps his promises. And within that, I have a lot of reason for joy. Because if we can just be honest with each other, a lot of times, um, this time of the year, this is where it's hard to preach on this subject for me, because being in a church for the last eight years now, you see a lot of different rhythms of life, and I know there's people in here this morning that the Christmas season brings anything but joy. People would tell you that studies would show that this time of the year, from about the beginning of October all the way through January 1st, people are depressed, discouraged, downtrodden, bad memories, family losses, children illnesses, job issues, whatever that might be, relationships, whatever it is. There's a lot that comes with this time of the year. So I want, that's why I want us this morning to look at this idea of joy in a different way. I want to really look at joy from a biblical perspective if I can. I have struggled with this all week trying to figure out what God wants me to do with this little bitty word that brings such a wide berth of conversation with it because it's not happiness, is it? Amen, church? It is not happiness, is it? Because happiness is based on your circumstance. Happiness is based on happenstance. There's nothing wrong with being happy. Happy is good. It's an emotion God's given us, but it's not lasting. It doesn't have an eternal impact to it like the word, like that idea of joy that it brings with it. This Christmas season, we have long lines, people on our way at the grocery stores. We're running out of groceries, can't get our presents, um, attitudes, people. We got, we're, okay, anybody else? You get stressed out about hanging out with your family? 
that's another thing, right? We're like, okay, it's going to be a great time. I get to spend time with my family. Ain't it great? Because a lot of times, honestly, we go around people in our family that aren't believers, right? What a great opportunity for us to bring that idea of joy to them. So what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at this because if, if I can stop for just a second, this idea of joy, uh, other words that are used in this are bliss, cheer, delight, elation, glee, all these other words, right? Those words come in that same sphere of joy, but what I want to look at this morning is this idea of biblical joy, okay? That's what I want to dig into this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of different definitions that I found as I went through this this week. The biblical definition of joy is feeling a good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on Jesus rather than what I'm going through. <clears throat> Hang on to that. It's, what I'm, it's depending on Jesus, not what I'm going through. Another definition of it is a peace-filled confidence about life because of the character, acts, and the promises, I would say the fulfilled promises of God. That's another definition of joy. One pastor put it this way, the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Do you have that? Do you genuinely understand the biblical principles that we're talking about this morning with joy, that you have a settled assurance that God's in charge and in control of all the details of your life? Because if we understand he's good and he keeps his promises, we can be okay there. It gives you a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. It's going to be okay by choosing to praise God in every situation or circumstance. Hear me this morning. I don't know what each one of you are going through. I know what I've been going through, but I don't know what you're going through. But I want you to know it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You have joy, and we're going to talk about that idea of joy this morning. This morning, I want to dig into this idea of not only how we receive joy, but who we receive it from. And that changes everything. When we get this, not because we want to know how to get joy, right? We want to know how to receive joy. I want to know how I get this. I want to know how I hang on to it. But more than that, who do we receive it from is what I want to look at this morning. And we're going to have to look at three different scriptures to do that this morning. So I'm going to be blitzing through quite a few of these scriptures because I want to stay within the Christmas story to begin with. <clears throat> and the first thing we're going to look at this morning, we sang a little bit about it this morning actually, is the shepherd's joy. So turn to Luke chapter 2 with me if you would please. This is the first place the first point will probably be a little bit longer. The, the last two will be a little shorter, hopefully. So Luke chapter 2 is where we want to turn to, okay? I want to put this into context. <laughs> you think you're having a bad day? In the context of what's going on here, just prior to this, just a few months prior to this, there were, the theologians refer to this as the 400 years of silence. God had quit speaking to people through prophets for over 400 years in this context of what's going on before the Christmas story happens. We think we have bad days. Imagine you not hearing from God for 400 plus years. That's what's going on within the context of this. And then all of a sudden, you guys know this Christmas story. Some of this is going to be just a review of what you already know. Hopefully I get it right. Then all of a sudden, uh, the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah when he's doing his priestly duties in the Holy of Holies. You guys know the story? He didn't believe that he was going to have a baby, John the Baptist, so Gabriel strikes him dumb, 
He's dumb until John the Baptist is born. He names him John. Then Zechariah can speak, tells about all the story of what happened behind the Holy of Holies. Then in the midst of this, the messenger angel Gabriel again comes and visits Mary, says you will, be, you will, be, um, you will take on a child from the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, who's never been with a man, is a virgin. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then all of a sudden you see this some nine months later. And then, then the angel visits Joseph, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, to be honest with you, is the story, the Joseph of Christmas that Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, he's, I, I did a message one time called Unsung Heroes of the Bible. That's this guy, in my opinion. You watch this man, and God put him in place, and he took care of Jesus the way he did. Go back and read that, because as far as my account goes, the angel appeared to Mary one time. He appeared to Joseph four times. And every single time he appeared to Joseph, Joseph was immediately obedient to what the angel told him to do. I love this guy in scripture. So he's got Joseph, and then the census happens. They go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Everybody knows the story. They get to Bethlehem, and here we are. On the night of the birth of our Savior, this is where I want to step into the scripture this morning and look at what the Bible teaches us about the shepherd's joy and what we can learn as examples in regards to this idea of biblical joy. In, in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, and then I'll read just a little bit here in, in, if I got time in a few minutes. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. <laughs> Look at me. Really? That's one of those really moments in scripture. You're out in the field in the dark. Cowboys, guys ranching and farming in this room. You're out in the field in the dark at night. No headlights on your car. Nothing going on. You maybe have a fire going on. And then all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up and says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in Beth, today." In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths or swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It strikes me as it does several of us. And a lot of, again, this is just a review. A lot of us know this already, but I want to stop here. The shepherds were the first ones to receive the good news of the coming Savior, of his birth. The shepherds were the first ones. They were out in the field. They were outcasts. We all know what shepherds represented in those days. They didn't get to go to the synagogue. They figured they were thieves and liars. Everybody kicked them out into the field. That's the guys that were in the field tending the sheep that night. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up around them. So you get the idea of, it's, it's, to me, it strikes me as amazing that God would take the outcasts of the world not the popular, you guys have been taught this before, not the popular, not the esteemed, not the rich, but the outcast. Because he loves them. And he carried the message of the Savior through the outcasts. That's as amazing to me as he allows me to carry the message of the Savior for you guys this morning. But ultimately, who did, who did, the, who did the angels hear from? The angel, or the shepherds hear from? The angel Gabriel. But ultimately, who did they hear from? The message was from the Lord, from God. They heard God speak this message to them. And why would this child bring such joy? It's the good news, Isaiah 7.14. Again, this is the fulfillment of God's promises. Isaiah 7.14 makes it, chapter 7, verse 14, makes it very clear. This is the good news of the Savior's arrival on earth. God with us. Emmanuel. 
See, I think sometimes at Christmas we get so busy and caught up in all the rest of the stuff that we miss the little bitty huge moments in Scripture that show us that this is where we find our joy. God is with us. And you see it in the baby in the manger. Gabriel puts it this way in Matthew 1.21. Or Matthew puts it this way. The, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel tells Mary she will give birth to a son and you, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he will save their people from their sin. Joy is this. We see God with us, Emmanuel. But why? To save you from your sin. This is where all this begins from Genesis chapter 3. We see the culmination of this right now in Luke chapter 2. We see this idea that he came because he came to, his name is Jesus and he will save you from your sin. God sent a savior to meet our greatest need, a baby in a manger. God sent a savior to meet your greatest need. Not money, not prestige, not health, a savior that would rescue you from your sin. That's where the joy comes from. The baby in the manger is the savior of the world, and that's exactly what he did on the cross. He came from that cradle to that cross to shed his blood so that we may be forgiven of our sin. That's the joy of Christmas. That's the joy of being a Christian, if you will. But how he came is as important as why he came. How he came was born of what? A virgin. Why is that so critical? Because that is the extension of what happened at the cross. See, Jesus Christ did not have sin. He had no sinful nature when he was born because he was born of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had no sin, yet he was tempted exactly like we are, but he had no sin. If he had sinned, the offering on the cross would not have been sufficient for the Father, and the resurrection would not have happened, and we would, as Paul says, still be in our sin. This is the miraculous work that God is doing through this whole experience in this manger scene. It's way bigger than just this baby in a manger that we see. God came, Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us the way to get back to earth. Jesus was without sin, yet he took our sin upon him to be our sacrifice, our propitiation, the atonement for my sin the forgiveness of my sin. That is such a bigger deal than what we see, just a baby lying in a manger at Christmas. I, I have, we've often heard it put this way, right? What's the reason for our season? Jesus, right? What's Jesus' reason for the season? You. Our reason for the season is Jesus Christ. But his reason for the season was you and me. That's why he came. Go ahead and turn to Luke. Go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read just a little bit more of this, and then I'll get down and finish this up and get into my second point. Because what I want to look at now is these shepherds for a second. So they heard from the angel Gabriel, do not be afraid. Today in the town of David, there's a Savior born to you, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And in verse 15, it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in a manger. When they saw this, or excuse me, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning, concerning all that they had been told about this child. 
All who heard this were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and which which were just as they had been told. I love that part of that verse. Just as they had been told. Exactly what the angel Gabriel told them out in the field. They took off and they went right away in obedience. They went into Bethlehem, found the child, and they found everything to be exactly as God had said it would be. In other words, our salvation is firm in the fact that what God tells us is true. And we can rest in that. We can find joy in that. But the shepherds, I believe here, they believed by faith this message the angels had told them. I think personally for me, this is a great example because our belief, our, our belief should impact our behavior, shouldn't it? The way we believe should impact the way we live. It did with the shepherds. They heard the angel. They, they believed what they said. What they do? They went into Bethlehem and they found the child. And when they found this child lying in a manger, what great joy that had to give them. Do you remember first encountering Christ? And you really realized what Jesus had done for you? It changed you. It, ma- it, makes you it, it makes you different. And I would use the word, it gives you joy. It gives you assurance that you know everything's going to be okay. And then what they did, they went off right away and told everybody about him. Can you Okay, these are shepherds. The odor's probably pretty bad. Just saying. And they're running around the streets of Bethlehem in the middle of the night or early morning, Yelling, I can just see these guys at the top of their lungs talking about what they had just experienced. Now, can you imagine sitting in the coffee shop and watching the shepherds go by, and these guys are going, hey, guess what happened to us? We encountered the angel out in the, out in the, out in the field, and we came in, and there's the baby. And I'm sure some of the people had to be like, whatever. They, some people had to respond exactly like some people do when you tell them about the Christ child in a manger. And he went from the cradle of the cross so that you may be forgiven of your sin. Yeah, whatever. But it says some were amazed at what they had to say. And it was the lowly, outcast shepherds running the streets telling people about the Lord. That's expressed joy. Are you willing this Christmas season, in the depths of your heart, in the sorrows that you have, to yet remember what Christ has done for us? And be willing to express that joy to other people this year. That's one of the things that God's really had me consider while I do this. And again, take your personality and set it aside. Please. I don't care if you're a lunatic like I am with your hair on fire all the time. Or if you're quiet, which I wish I was one of those guys that was just like Tanner last week. Very stoic. Very calm. Very addressed. It communicates well. Not me. It's like, "Ah, Jesus loves you. Right? But isn't it great that he does to so express that joy this year? And then what they did at this, what they do next? I love this part. I love this part. Because tomorrow's Monday, right? Today's Sunday. Tomorrow's Monday. Guess what most of us are going to be doing? Going back to work. The man alive. If you realize, like these shepherds, what you have in your heart and what God has done for you, you will go back to that same profession that you left Friday this Monday with a whole new look at it with joy in your heart. Because you realize what the Lord has done for you. I hope that lands on you guys. Because here's what I want you to know. The birth of that child really is, in a sense, God revealing his love for us. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for this. In this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
But do you realize when you look at that baby in the manger, this is God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you that he sent his only son. And not only son, there's a baby in the manger that you might be forgiven of your sin. Have you been? Have you accepted the gift that God's given you this Christmas season? Have you been forgiven of your sin where you know, you know, you know that you have the joy of the Lord in your heart because you've been saved by the blood of Jesus because of that gift that was given so many years ago on that Christmas night? The second thing is this, the source of our joy. Turn to John chapter 15, if you would. I want to take a second because I want you guys to see the scripture. I'm going to try to press through this a little bit here. John chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 11. This number two point is the source of our joy. Jesus says to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full or complete. This verse tells us the source of our joy. It's not our experience, it's not the situation, it's not what we're going through. The source of our joy is in someone, not something. The source of our joy is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That little bitty baby in a manger that is now a man, this, let me put this into context for a second. Jesus is telling them that my joy is what you'll receive, okay? And I want my joy to remain in you. Do you realize the context of this scripture? This is John chapter 15. I just had a conversation a little bit ago in the hallway about this. John chapter 13 is what? The upper room where Jesus washes the feet. They have their last supper. The night before Jesus Christ is going to the cross, he's telling his disciples, he says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full through that. So he's telling, this is anything but a joyful night, you guys. Jesus Christ is headed for the cross. They go from the upper room across the Kidron Valley down to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying with Peter, James, and John. Jesus is arrested, taken off, mock trial, all the stuff that's going on. The disciples scatter. They've been left alone. Everything they believed for three and a half years is just crumbled in front of them. We know Peter denied Christ through all this. All this stuff is going on. Right before all this, though, Jesus says, here's how you hang on to the joy that we've had all these years of walking together. You will receive my joy. I These things I have spoken to you that my joy may what? Remain in you. And that it may, may be made full. So when you look at this, this is anything but a joyful night. And Jesus knew exactly what he was walking into. The disciples, blind as a bat. But they learned, didn't they? Do you think it would, can we be... I don't know what the disciples would have been like, but I would like to think we'd be a little bit different in this, that we will remember when we leave this room today and we go back to our homes and the dark of night hits tonight and the things come on you that you remember where the source of your joy comes from. Who is the source of your joy is Jesus Christ, not what you're going to be feeling tonight when the lights go out and you're laying in bed and the weight of the world lands on your, on your chest and you can't breathe and you have that anxiety and you don't know what to do. And you're just like, Lord, I'm going to be lost if you don't help me. I want you guys to remember. I don't know whether the disciples remember this or not. When they all scattered and they were all by themselves in the dark of the night thinking to themselves, what in the world just happened? Wait a minute. We were just with Jesus in the upper room and he just washed my feet. And now we're here within 12 to 24 hours. 
What happened? When you're in the dark of the night, I want you to remember who your joy is. And Satan can't steal your joy. He can't have it. Unless you give it to him, it's not his to take. And you're in a fight. And sometimes we have to fight to be able to remember what Scripture teaches us. And the devil can't steal my joy because my joy doesn't come from him. My joy comes from my Savior. And when I receive that and reciprocate that back in worship to him, then it's made full. Then it's made complete. I don't just receive it. I recognize it and I give him the praise which we'll talk about in a minute. And that's how this cycle refers back and back, back and all the way around full circle, if you will. What I want to do, though, is I want you to jump back to verse 9 real quick. Chapter, uh, John chapter 15, verse 9. How do we receive this from the Lord? Because I want you to know, here's how we receive it. Jesus says to his disciples, because he says, these things I have spoken to you. What things? Here's what it is. Many things before this, but here's part of it. <clears throat> As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your and that your joy may be full. So here's the deal: How do we abide? How do we receive this joy from Jesus? We abide in His love. We abide in the love of Jesus Christ, but we also keep His commandments. Did you ever notice? I don't think this is this unique. You ready? Have you ever not kept the commandments of Jesus? Have you ever fallen off into temptation? Any joy in that area of your life? There's not, is there? Joy comes from abiding in our Savior, and Jesus makes it very clear. See, Jesus has the joy of the Father, he says, because he's abiding in the Father's love and he's keeping his commandments. We will abide in Christ and keep his commandments. We'll have Jesus' joy. See how that works? So if you ever wonder what is going on in my life and why do I not have any joy or peace or whatever that might be, you got to sit back and you got to look at your devotional life. You got to ask yourself, what am I doing in the Lord? My love, my commandments abide in me. Jesus says, then you will receive my joy. Christians are obedient. Christians are obedient because we have joy. But we are joyful because we are obedient. Christians have obedience are obedient because we have joy. But we are joyful because of our obedience. And if I'm not obedient, make sense? Pretty simple. Finding joy in the middle of our struggles is about finding Christ in the middle of our struggles. And I want to wrap up my last point with this, the strength of our joy. The strength of our joy, this is one of the, one of the most interesting and challenging scriptures there are, in my opinion, in the Bible, which is found in James chapter 1. So if you've got time, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1 with me real quick, if you would, please. And we're going to read verses 2, right, basically verse 2, right in that area. Many of us know the scripture, and many of us scratch our head at the scripture, including me. James is talking to the scattered church, to Christians who are scattered about, who are in a very tough situation. That's the context of this, of this scripture. And he writes, and so you guys know James, this is a half-brother of Jesus who didn't even believe in Jesus till after the resurrection. Then James writes this, consider it, he's writing this to the brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. In this passage, 
We're told what to do during trials. And what are we told to do? This is a command. We're told to consider it all joy. Consider it pure joy. Okay, exactly how do we do that? Think about situations where you would have to consider this pure joy. Trials and testings, gut-wrenching things that are happening in your life, things that are completely out of your control, that you had nothing to do with, and yet it still lands on you because it builds up perseverance in our faith and helps in our relationship with Jesus. The word there, consider, or to count, some translations would say, this is actually a financial term. This really cleared things up for me. It helped me a lot when I looked at it this way. It's a financial term which means to evaluate. See, in the middle of our situation and our circumstance, we're not spending time evaluating our trial, are we? What are we doing? We're looking for ways out. That's my evaluation. Is how do I get out of this mess? I, don't even, I didn't even do anything to be here to begin with. How do I get out of this? See, that if you'll stop and you'll evaluate what's going on in the light of the cross, then you'll consider it joy. Because here, Jesus sets an example for us. In the midst of facing the cross, Jesus counted it joy because he evaluated the situation in the light of the Father, and he's abiding in the Father. And what does he have when he's abiding in the Father? The Father's joy. What will we have when we abide in Christ through our situations? Jesus' joy. That's what we end up having. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It goes on to say in verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, if we're going to be like Christ, and he counted it all joy as going to the cross, and we're supposed to consider evaluate that financial term, and we're supposed to evaluate what we're going through, consider who are we considering, not our situation. We're considering how our Savior handled these type of situations. We're considering how Jesus Christ, how was he able to count it all joy? Because back in John chapter 15, it's made very clear. He was abiding in the Father, so he had the Father's joy. If we abide in Christ through our situations, and we evaluate it in the light of the cross, guess what we'll have? We will abide in Christ. We will have Christ's joy. That's how we hang on to joy through these circumstances and situations is we, we hang on to that idea of counting the cost, considering him, looking at the situation, looking at the temporal situation I'm going through with the eternal perspective. And if we'll do that, then we'll endure what, we're, what, we're, what we are experiencing. And then there's also one thing I want to get to too real quick, and I'll close here in just a minute. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You do not handle your challenges on your own. You don't deal with your trials on your own. One of my favorite things that God did is he fulfilled the scripture that says, when Jesus says, he tells his disciples in John chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans, but when I go, the Father will send back the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the Holy Spirit that is in your heart. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to witness you, to, to witness to you, to remind you of all the things that Jesus has taught you, then you will have joy in the midst of the worst and most horrific situations. Tears running down your face. You're brokenhearted. You don't know if you're even going to make it. But there's that joy by abiding in Christ and staying in his love and following his commandments and considering, Lord, have I gotten myself in trouble with you? No, I'm okay you will experience a sense of joy that you will not be able to describe to anyone because they won't understand it outside of Christ. So the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, you can do this. That's how I can tell you everything's going to be okay. 
Because God's with you. He loves you enough to send a baby, from, to send Jesus from heaven to a baby in a manger to a cross. And then when Jesus resurrects from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, God the Father sends back to Christians the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in my heart. And I have that same power that rose Jesus from the grave that dwells in me. A power that is um, immense. You can't, there's no end to it. So no matter what I'm going through, I can get through whatever it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to close with this. If I can have the band come up on stage, I want to close with the song. And I'll have them be up here probably for a minute or two as I get through this. The last, kind of the last thing I want to lean into, this idea of joy comes through prayer and worship. I remember the very first time I read in the psalm, Psalm chapter 42, verse 11, which I'll read here in just a minute. King David wrote this. And I was in a pretty dark time when I read this, and it really, it, it just changed my whole perspective, to be very honest with you. King David writes this in Psalm 42, verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Have you ever been there? Just sitting. I don't even know what's going on. Maybe there is a circumstance or a situation that you're going through, but it could be that you're just sitting there and life is just hard. But David says, why so downcast? Why so disturbed? But watch the transition. Put your hope in God. See, David's talking to himself in the midst of a very hard situation. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. If you're stressed out and you don't know what to do and you're dealing with things that are so overwhelming for you and you're just lost and it's just like, the waves of life are crashing in on you and you're just at your wit's end. I want you to know if you'll do this. This is the application of what everything I've been talking about, in my opinion. If you will allow yourself to turn your hearts to heaven and you will worship Christ, if you will read the word and you will pray and you will worship God, you will be reminded by the Holy Spirit of God that everything's going to be, be okay. Because that's you abiding in Christ. That's you hanging on to the, to the cross. That's you clinging to what is good. That's you being thankful. Because what happens is, in the midst of my situation, I'm just like, man, Lord, I'm just, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm not going to make it. The anxiety is overwhelming. The health issues, whatever it is, financial issues at Christmas, I don't know what to do. I'm just being overwhelmed and, and done under. And I'm, I'm at my wit's end. All that is is this, you turning here. What I want you to do is to turn here. And if you will read your word, pray, and worship, all of a sudden you will be reminded of an eternal perspective. Then you're abiding in Christ. Then you'll have the joy of the Lord in your heart, and everything will be okay. Psalm 28.7 says this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. Thankfulness and joy go together. When we're thankful, we will remember the joy of the Lord. I want to take you back to the front end of this, and then we're going to close with a song. Remember the shepherds? They were out in the field, tending their sheep. Angel comes along, tells them the good news. They go in, they see the baby, tell everyone, they go right back to work. Had their perspective, had their situation or circumstance changed at all? It hadn't had it. The shepherds were still shepherds. The shepherds still had to be out in the field tending their sheep. 
their circumstance did not change a lick. Their perspective did. Because they encountered the Messiah. And they had joy in their heart because of it. I'm not telling you that what you're experiencing right now in this room is going to change a bit when you walk out of here. It may and it may not. But your perspective can. I don't know where you're at this morning in this conversation of joy. But what I do want to do is I'd like everybody to stand to their feet this morning. I'm going to have Jessica lead us in a song to close. I want you to sing along if you want. I want the altars open for you if you want to come forward. If something's been weighing on you and you're like, Satan's been trying to steal my joy and I'm not going to let him anymore. As always, the altar's always open. You don't have to come forward, but if you want to, it's open for you. But what I want you to do for just a moment is I want you to look at the words on the screen, lift your voices up if you're up to it, sing along, but look at the words on the screen and let those words minister to your heart. Let those words change your perspective and you will walk out of this room with the deepest joy in your heart because we're thankful for what our Savior has done for us.